0: Welcome to the Hey Soul Sister podcast, where Mel Histon will guide you through life's big questions and bring you one step closer to doing this crazy journey as best you can. Hey Soul Sisters,
1: you may have heard in the media lately the term coercive control. And maybe you've wondered about what that actually means and what it looks like. I know that I first heard that term coercive control when I was watching 60 Minutes, I think it was last year, and they had the 24-year-old woman, Sarah Rotevsky, on there. She was being interviewed talking about how her mother had been murdered, and her father is in jail for having murdered her mother. And during the interview, she was in denial that her father had actually murdered her mother, was in denial about her father and any wrongdoing and that there was any ever violence between her parents. And it was interesting because I think afterwards, a lot of people were really watching her, uh, were quite critical of, she came across, across as almost a bit emotionless. And people were questioning that. Okay, how can a girl come across it so unemotional when her mother has been murdered and in denial that her father did that? And that they had an expert talking about um, that the reason for that was that she had been coercively controlled by her father. Now, I had never heard of that before at all. But yeah, again, I'm hearing it all the time now in the media. So today, I really want to pull that apart, what that means, what that looks like, what some of the red flags are for coercive control in relationships. And I've got two wonderful women here today. I've got Kaz Amos, who is... Counsellor extraordinaire and psychologist. She's our got you back sister counsellor. Hey, Kaz. Hey,
2: how you going? Psychologist in the
1: making. (laughs) Don't get into trouble. We don't want that. Yeah, and I've got Colleen Mullins here as well. Colleen is a member of the Newcastle Domestic Violence Committee. And she's also been a caseworker for 21 years, working with families who are at the risk of losing their children to the family court system or doc system. Is that right, Colleen?
0: Yeah, that's correct.
1: Yay! Hi. Thank you for coming on, Hey Soul Sister. Hello,
2: ladies. How are you going?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, Colleen, I'm guessing in your role as a caseworker, you've probably seen a lot. And you have probably seen many family relationships where coercive control, you know, is a, is a fact of life, is what's going on in those relationships. Would you say that, that you've seen a lot of that?
0: Yeah, I think family violence has been a really massive theme throughout a lot of the casework that I've done over the course of 21 years or so. I think, though, what I'm really glad to see is this shift into starting to talk about coercive control because for a very long time, a lot of us have been sort of considering family violence to be physical violence or a sexual violence or certainly verbal threats. But when we start talking about coercive control, we look at how broad that actually is. And for many women who are victims of homicide... That is the first act of violence that what they've actually experienced for many, many, many years is acts of coercive control that have led to that.
2: And so what is coercive control, Kaz? What's your understanding of coercive control? I think it's first of all important to discriminate between conflict and control in a relationship. You can have healthy conflict and resolve that conflict, but when it comes to controlling and that then suggests that there's a dynamic of power where one person is more powerful than another, and I think along with that maybe belief or dynamic in a relationship also comes a sense of ownership and entitlement. And that ownership and entitlement says, you're mine, you do what I say. And that's the, I guess, the belief this system that goes with coercive control and it shows up in small ways and it at worst is in, lands in big ways. So again, to go back to what Colleen said about it being broad, but the smallest amounts of control in a relationship are the beginnings and the the signposts that um, coercive control is there.
1: I was talking to a woman the other day who came to Got Your Back Sister and for those of you who don't know Got Your Back Sister, we're an organisation that helps women rebuild their lives after having fled domestic violence and a woman dropped in last week and she was sharing some of her story with me. I think she just wanted a bit of a shoulder, you know, an ear to listen to, shoulder to cry on and she actually was hoping to be here today but something came up last minute and so I know she would be happy for me to talk about this. And for her, she was saying that the coercive control was a really slippery slope and that it didn't show up on day one of that relationship, that it happened slowly over time. And that in the beginning, he was so complimentary and he bought her gifts and he took her to fancy dinners and told her that he was in love with her and he was the love of her life.
0: But slowly over time, that started to change and he started to chip away at her. I think it's sort of recognised as the act of love bombing. So absolutely bombing a person with acts that could be represented as love or adoration, but actually over time built up, they can actually that they slip into that controlling behaviour. So calling that person three, four, five, six, fifteen 15 times a day initially could be passed or, or sold by the perpetrator as, I really miss you, I really care about you, I've been thinking about you, I thought I might get you something and be misinterpreted as an act of love when actually what it is is invading that person's independence, checking up on them, making sure they know where they're doing, making sure that they're always in contact. And many, many of those behaviours like buying gifts can actually lead to women feeling that they're indebted to that person. Acts like being able to say, look, I-, I don't want you going out wearing that and commenting on outfits because I just, I don't want you to be, you know, gawked at by these other bloody yeah yeah. Mm.
1: yeah, absolutely. I've heard that many a time. Just through Got Your Back Mm -hmm. Sister and people that I meet. Mm.
0: Yeah. Want to save your soul? Review us on Apple Podcast.
1: So let's look at, I suppose, what some of those different tactics that perpetrators, and I'm going to, perpetrator sounds like a strong term, but it is. Coercive control is a form of domestic violence, which again, this woman that I was talking to you last week, she said... She didn't even realise that until she actually went and saw a psychiatrist because he had convinced her, he'd gaslighted her so badly, he had her convinced that she had bipolar. So she started seeing a psychiatrist until the psychiatrist said to her, there is nothing wrong with you. You are just in a really toxic relationship that you need to end. She said she'd never heard the term coercive control before. She'd never heard of emotional abuse. There you go.
2: I think like a, an example, a very quick example that comes to mind um, that someone shared with me recently was um, she was parking the car. She was driving the car. Her husband was in the passenger seat. He got out of the car. The car was parked slightly crooked. And next to them was another car and somebody was sitting in it. And he got out of the car, looked at the car park, wagged his finger at her in a, that is a terrible park. Don't don't do that again. And then he (laughs) pointed at her, now fix it. And she's in the car. She's noticing the person next to her, noticing her, feeling humiliated and proceeded to fix the car and park it straight you know this is somebody who hasn't really had a lot of uh, awareness around coercive control in her life and i was able to kind of go is that okay with you no no no. i felt humiliated and that's one of the small ends of the scale that doesn't no one says oh that's violent that's domestic violence that's where coercive control is in its foundational stages
0: i worked for a period of time in 2018 over in Scotland where the coercive control legislation was passing or going through parliament there and there was a real shift because we started referring to this as domestic abuse instead of domestic violence and it really did clear up that line to say that we're not just talking about physical hitting, hurting, punching, we're talking about abusive behaviour and that that language shifts that I think Scotland were able to make was really really important for women to be able to stand up and go yeah actually this isn't okay this is abusive even if it's not a act of physical violence.
1: Do you think that we should be changing that in Australia because we say domestic violence over here?
0: Mm -hmm. I think that us shifting our, our language around this to be labelled domestic abuse will go a really long way.
1: I'm going to change that we're going to start using that. We're going to do that. We're going to start using that domestic abuse.
2: Thanks, Colleen. <laughs> it, certainly, it certainly opens it up, doesn't it? Even when you think about all of the beliefs that we have around what domestic violence looks like and what the media sells domestic violence as. Yeah, um, Abuse is any behaviour that is detrimental to another. And it that chips includes, away at that person's self-worth. Yeah, kind words are not abusive words. There's, they're two different ways to treat people. Yep. So, yeah, that does cover it, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. So, in saying that, let's have a look at some of those um, tactics, uh, coercive controlling tactics, because I think I was reading through them. And for somebody who doesn't work in the domestic abuse mm-hmm. sector, may possibly be surprised at some of those tactics, because I know that I certainly was when I first, you know, learnt about domestic abuse. Yeah. So, for example, one of the coercive controlling tactics is to monitor your activity throughout the day, which could be like text messages, phone calls, apps, phone apps, phone apps. I've been hearing more and more about women saying that they
0: have discovered that their partner has put in that ghosting software in their phones. It's really terrifying because it's so easily available and you can't even identify it as an app on your phone. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I've, I've heard of that. There's a woman in particular, It got your back sister, He would come to be like, I don't understand how my partner knew about this or knows about that. I, I have no idea. It's like he's reading my mind. And it was like, no, he had put ghosting software on her phone and she had no idea. You can't find it. That's why you call it call it ghosting. And I think as well, regular feedback that I hear from women around partner or ex-partner behavior is that text-bombing. They're mm-hmm. getting constantly all day. I know one woman in particular said she was getting, you know, 50 to 60 text messages or phone calls a day from her ex-partner. They had separated and he was like that when they were together. But even when they separated, he was constantly, where are you? What are you doing? Who are you with? He was checking up and monitoring her all day.
2: The effects of that are just a uh, like a sandpaper on the skin, you know. One brush, Sure two, three, 60, are you kidding? Now you're starting to get raw and you're starting to feel exhausted and very vulnerable to that person as well. Because you are, as much as you can depend on that many text messages, you can't depend on what's going to happen next if you don't respond, if you do respond and if it's done in a timely manner or not. There's so many unknowns, which is why it becomes controlling because you
0: have to respond in a way. and a lot of men will flip that if you're not responding in the appropriate time frame according to them then there'll be accusations of what you've been doing and whether there's been infidelity And that in itself is designed to make a victim feel completely regretful and dependent as well, to to sort of immediately have to go into a flurry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, no, I've not been doing anything, I would never do anything. It's it's a terrifying space to be in.
1: Absolutely, and even having to justify... Everyday things like I don't want my hubby to know that I've been at my friend's place because I know that he'll start in on me, he'll start giving me a hard time. So I'm I'm going to I I actually have to cover for that lie, lie about that and say that I was at the supermarket. So you constantly start to get into
0: that whole fear state. I and guess. perpetrators who use controlling behaviour very often will attack those friends and family members and isolate their, their partners to the point where they don't see their friends and family members anymore. So saying things like belittling the family members, trying to portray them as being against him so that the Um, So his partner needs to defend him and be on his side and and make choices to step away from those people. It's all very strategic though.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it comes down to that person's insecurity. He's so insecure um, that he gets threatened by anybody else that could be in her life. So he needs to actually isolate her from those friends, from family, even work colleagues.
2: It's a fear, isn't it? It's a fear that controls the relationship. Relationships are meant to be built on love, and building relationships on fear it just takes everything away—the joy, the possibility—and and that's why it's so sad because it doesn't—it doesn't just take that away. It it destroys whole families and and whole, not just you know parents and children, but the extended family and friends that are around those
0: people as well. Cass, you just mentioned that relationship between parents and children, and that's another thing that we. We'll see in our work that these controlling men or women, controlling perpetrators, will actually do, and they'll sabotage that relationship between a mother and a child. They will undermine the mother, belittle the mother in front of the child, call the mother stupid, and actually lift that child up, spoil the spoil the child to create, a, a I guess, a dependent and a... And a immersive relationship with that perpetrator?
1: I'm going to put my hand up and say that my ex-husband would do that with my son. He used to say really, really horrible things about me to my son and it was that form of control, controlling him and controlling me. And do you know what? He still does it now. My son's mm. no longer a child, but he still does it. And it's and it's. and I look back now and I didn't realise at the time all these different behaviours that he did were coercive control. I know that one day a counsellor said to me, he's emotionally abusive to you. But I had never heard of coercive control. And now I go, oh, well, tick, 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 tick.
2: And if we've just broadened the definition of domestic violence to domestic abuse, emotional abuse is domestic abuse. Yeah. It's in the home. It's it's within those relationships.
1: Yeah. Because I remember the counsellor said to me once, the thing is with physical abuse, physical violence, is that it leaves scars on your skin, on your body, and you can see that. But the thing with emotional abuse with coercive control is it doesn't leave a physical scar. It's an emotional scar. And that's just as detrimental to a woman, to her mental health and well-being, to her soul. And, that, you know, it's just as damaging as physical abuse.
0: I think I've heard it referred to as brainwashing. Mm. And you know, it very much is designed to whittle away their sense of self-esteem, their sense of rights, even your sense of sanity. So where, where victims are actually questioning whether or not they're sane, like the lady that you were talking about before, Mel. Yeah, yeah. Want to fill your soul with more? Go to the sisterco.com So
1: I did a talk... In a school last, actually, it wasn't last year because it was the COVIDs. It was the, it was the year before. And I was talking to some year eight kids about healthy versus non healthy relationships or unhealthy relationships. And, you know, you have to tread carefully with year eight kids because, you know, they're not necessarily in mature sexual relationships at that stage. So I was putting things in terms that they could understand. So I was talking about mobile phone usage. And I was talking to them about, you know, it's not okay for somebody, your friends or a boyfriend or a girlfriend to have access to your text messages, to your passwords, that sort of thing. They don't have a right to automatically have access to all your personal thoughts, feelings, devices, that sort of thing. And then I was trying to explain to them about coercive control, that emotional abuse. And I, putting it in their terms, I said to them, imagine if you had... A boyfriend or a girlfriend and they told you you couldn't have a mobile phone and they all started laughing as if that was the most ridiculous thing in the world and I said it's just given now isn't it that you guys all have mobile phones it's like that's your right that you can have a mobile phone and I said well my first husband I was not allowed to have a mobile phone he could have one and I wasn't allowed to have one so you think about that and that that control it was okay for him to have a phone, but I was not allowed to have a mobile phone. I had to use his phone and I had to ask him to use it. And when I told those kids that little tidbit of information, you could see the look on their face, the horror of
2: it, but that is total, that's that control. I can know? imagine that that would have just like gone like a bomb through those kids. <laughs> what? You took my – because you're speaking their language yeah. and that's a language of how I connect and if I am disconnected and not being allowed to connect, then I'm being isolated. And that then is that where it enters into that coercive control nature of, yeah, my options are being limited here. I don't have the same freedoms as my partner. Not, they're not allowed to. Yeah.
1: I want to talk about gaslighting because we hear that term a lot, gaslighting. What? I- what is it? What's gaslighting?
0: Gaslighting is a term where people will manipulate you to really question your own sense of reality, what your beliefs are, what your rights are. They will often use things like belittling you, putting you down in a jocular way in front of friends and family just to make you feel a little bit silly or make you question what you've just said or what you've just thought. But it is designed to make you really Question doubt yourself, yourself yeah, doubt, doubt yourself. yourself, yeah.
1: Yeah. Some women say that their partner, ex-partner, tries to make them think they're crazy. Not you're crazy, that's ridiculous, or
0: not you're imagining that. And but- that can be done through fantastic manipulation for, by just completely denying the truth of something. No, I never said that. I don't know what you're thinking. You're going insane. Mm. And it might be a statement that they've said only a minute before. So
1: interestingly, the woman I was speaking to at Got Your Back Sister last week, we were talking about that, about the gaslighting to the point, so her relationship for her was getting incredibly toxic. And she was saying that this this is not right. I think our relationship's really toxic. And he'd be like, no, it's you. You're the problem. You've got bipolar. So he would not take any responsibility. And she said he never would. He would never take any responsibility for anything that was going on in the relationship. It was all her to the point he had her convinced that maybe she was bipolar and started seeing a psychiatrist. She said four visits. Yeah. And that psychiatrist was like, there is nothing wrong with you. You are just in a really toxic
2: relationship. You need to get out. Yeah. It's funny how she couldn't notice in that moment either. And I think that that's one of the effects of the, you said, the slippery slope before into, you know, into that coercive or that relationship where coercion exists. And it's because of the smallness of the nature. Oh, you're crazy. (laughs) ha, To... No, you're crazy. You really need to go see somebody. You've already heard the words before and they didn't make a difference. You heard them three, four, five times and it gets a little grey and you start to feel the 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 true intention behind the words that, you know, you might not notice the difference because you, you can justify it to yourself. Oh, he said that before and it's no big deal. You know, he didn't really mean it. And, and he backs up, oh, I didn't really mean it. I was joking around. The intention behind it, though, it's the undertone that goes with it that I think we feel and maybe sometimes they're not, we don't act on it. We're already undermined. We're already conditioned to be thinking, oh, I don't really know what I'm talking about. I'm not as smart as him. I don't know what I'm doing. He knows what he's doing. He earns more money than I do. Um, He owns this place and I don't. You know, all those other things that undermine our sense of self. Um, That's That slope, that's very slippery. And that's why I think this, even in legal terms, is such a grey space because what equals an offhanded comment
0: versus a coercive comment? Like where is that? Yeah. Line. Well, I think it's around demonstrating that there's a pattern of those abusive behaviours, and it might not just be one form of those kinds of coercive controlling behaviours, but where women are sort of recognising that they are fearful, that they don't feel um, loved or, or respected. There, there's probably an indicator there that there's some unhealthy elements in that relationship.
1: Absolutely, because at the end of the day, if you're in a relationship with somebody. You want to be happy, you want to have good times You want to feel good, you want to be supportive of each other Be loving of each other And yes, there can be moments of arguments or conflict But that's, you know, when it gets unhealthy If it becomes controlling, if it becomes hurtful If it becomes toxic You know, that's when there's those really big red flags To go, okay, this is actually not really good for me It's not good for my children And I need to do something about this
2: Something that I put in my notes when I was preparing for today was this. Women do not need to be dutiful and compliant to be safe. Oh, okay, I love that. Isn't that just like, it's such a powerful thing on its own. I love that. Yeah. I, oh. We do not need to be dutiful and compliant in order to be safe. Safety is a given. Well, safety is a human right. Safety is a human right. It's a basic it's level a ba- need. And when we do not feel safe, we can't think, we can't thrive, we can't grow. So that's how important it is to realise, well, I don't need to make sure all my ducks are in a row in order to be safe. Those two things do not equal one another.
1: Mm. And for your children to be safe as well, because children are watching.
0: Mm. And learning. And learning.
1: Mm -hmm. A lot of people are in denial that their kids aren't watching, Mm. but they are.
0: And this is why it's so important, the programs that you guys do in high schools, where we're actually changing that dialogue for our young people where they start being able to understand that domestic violence isn't around hitting. It is actually around this abuse, around manipulation, around subtle attacks on your self-esteem. And that healthy relationships education you do through Love Bites is so important because what we want to do is change an entire generation so that these young boys grow up and don't use these abusive behaviours.
1: I say all the time, we just want to live a happy, healthy, joyful life. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we can find ourselves in relationships that do not leave us happy, joyful, healthy, safe,
0: unfortunately. And it's not always evident. There's a slippery slope sometimes. Do you know what excites me about this legislation that Australia are considering passing or certain states in Australia are starting to consider passing now? is I think back to sort of the 70s and 80s when we went through that social and cultural shift from domestic violence being a family dispute or a family matter or a private family arrangement to saying this is actually not okay, this is a crime. And we made that shift as a society to really call it out. And in many, many ways, we're actually doing that again now. We're changing... Our language about what is abuse and what we're going to accept in in our homes and in our relationships and I think through legislating this we will change our police approach we will change our um, conversations in schools and we'll change our conversations in families. Have you seen the most recent ad
2: campaign about calling out where women are being targeted by unnecessary attention or discrimination and it's you know, two guys go down to the park at six o'clock in the morning and one elbows the other guy and, you know, looks over to a group of women exercising and goes, oh, yeah, this is why we get out here at 6am so we can see a little bit of that. And his mate just looks at him and turns away and just walks away. I haven't seen that ad, but that sounds fantastic. The campaign is about calling it out and it's not necessarily about calling it out with finger pointing and blame, but rather, you know what, I'm just going to not give you any attention. I'm not taking part in that conversation. That's right. And that standing up and being able to say, I'm not going to stand by. And I can say, you yeah, know, that's not okay for him to say that to you or that's not okay for that to happen in your home. And give permission, I think, for people to speak up or to simply say, when it's okay we can have another conversation.
0: Let's get soulful on social media. Search the Sister Code Facebook page and follow us on Instagram.
1: I want to add two things around coercive controlling behavior for people to consider. One is around sex and I suppose I want to state that that you know, a woman is in control of her body and she gets to choose when she wants to have sex and unfortunately sex can be used you know in coercive controlling behavior against that woman and a woman should never ever be feel as though she should be forced into doing anything that she wants to do
2: you know the consent and tea video that we watch in love bites i actually put it on my family group chat and because i've got young people in my house i said you guys all need to watch this because you all need to understand what consent means and it's a very interesting the conversations that the sixteen to twenty-one year old are having, um, which I never understood or or had any idea I even had permission to
0: address things like that when I was that age. I agree with, you with what you're saying around sex as well, because very often asking your or, or, or demanding that your partner performs a sex act that is demoralising or very uncomfortable for them is actually something that's used against them later as well and part of how that feeds into their controlling and coercive control behaviour.
1: And two other things that I've got here, because I actually do have a list sitting in front of me of coercive controlling tactics are making jealous accusations against you. So if your partner, ex-partner is making constant jealous accusations, accusing you of doing things that you're just not doing, that puts you on the back foot, that puts you on the defensive and actually is a controlling tactic. And the other thing as well is threatening your pets. Or your children, yep.
2: I, I that white ribbon breakfast. That w- when I first heard about coercive control, she talked about her partner at the time killed the family rabbit, and she said, "What was I supposed to do? Ring the police and say he killed the rabbit?" She said, "I, uh, you know, there was a clear message being sent, mm-hmm. and a f- and an absolute threat to myself and our children, but could I ring the police with that? No." So another reason why legally criminalising these behaviours is really important. Yeah.
0: I think absolutely. I mean, that is that is the key. So the women feel they have the right to go to police for support and protection around these things, but so that the police actually have the capacity to be able to respond because their hands are tied with our current legislation. It's very limited in terms of what they can act and take take to court and make charges against. So, legislating against coercive controlling behaviours will actually assist the police to be able to act sooner and help victims actually get supports and get intervention sooner too. Well,
1: it's being deba- debated in New South Wales Parliament, isn't it, at the moment? So, we're really hoping that it does become criminalised. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so what's the impact on people, women who are, or actually, and men, sorry, I don't mean just women, but women and men who may be experiencing coercive controlling behaviour?
0: Well, the impact is, as Kaz said, very, very subtle, and it, and it happens over a period of time. And what we see is they start to doubt themselves. They start to reduce their contact with friends and family. They stop engaging in activities that they used to love doing. They might start questioning themselves. They might stop making decisions on their own without conferring to their partner. So there's a whole range of things that actually starts to undermine that person's agency. And I would say I have heard women who come to
1: Got You Back, Sister, and they say, I feel worthless. And that's the ultimate, isn't it? That's mm. the ultimate impact is that that woman can feel so worthless. And that's awful because that's what I suppose we try to do in our work the between the three of us is that we try to rebuild those women to rebuild her self-worth her confidence her self-esteem so she can go out into the world and live independently and thrive that's what we want
2: and bring other happy humans along the way with her yeah i think too in hearing people's stories of rebuilding and watching people put their lives back together and thrive and um, there's somebody who comes to mind recently who has had a promotion at work. She's actually been attending our programs for six months. She has got a promotion at work and is looking for a new job because the promotion is not ticking her boxes enough. Yeah, She's feeling so much more energized. She's reconnected with her parents in a different way so that she has boundaries in the relationships with them, but they're visiting their grandchildren more often so there's been so much change in her life and she hasn't had to have a ginormous dramatic breakup with a partner but she has learned to put boundaries in place with her partner in order to set a different tone so the controlling things don't occur and, and when they do, she can see them, whereas before her eyes were closed mm-hmm. to them. And it's that sense of self that was depleted so much over not just one, but a number of different relationships in her life. And to watch her be able to build herself again is like Whoa. it can, it can happen. It can happen.
1: So, Colleen, what can people do if they are wondering? if what they're experiencing in their relationship is not normal or toxic or they actually like, no,
0: I think I'm being coercively controlled. We would always encourage anybody to speak out and first of all, connect to your loved ones who care about you. You can call 1-800-RESPECT to have some sound professional advice about what domestic abuse might look like. There are a lot of fantastic services like Got Your Back Sister, the Hunter Women's Centre here in Newcastle, East Lakes Family Support Services and Newcastle Family Support run great programs around healthy relationships education.
1: I know that what we've put on a caseworker at Got Your Back Sister now, so when we get calls, because we more and more are getting calls from women going, I think I'm in an abusive relationship and I don't know what to do. And so, you know, women can come and make an appointment to see the caseworker to get some information advice. And one of the things that she does is that she will talk to them about having a safety plan so if you are thinking about leaving she will talk through about what you need to do to do that as safely as possible and even consider things like for example, if you're thinking about leaving and you want to have an exit strategy there, making sure that you take all your personal documents with you, your, your passport, your birth certificate, bank account details, that sort of thing, because if you go out on your own and you need to open a bank account and you don't have those documents, you can't do that. And so, you know, our caseworker and, – and caseworkers at other services as well, not just at ours. Mm. There are caseworkers like at East Lakes Family Support, Newcastle Family Support, other services, and they will actually work with you to provide you with that information, advice, support, and work out you know how to keep yourself safe, especially if you're looking mm. to exit the relationship.
0: And that's so important because we know that when people leave that relationship or an abusive relationship, it's actually the most dangerous time for them. That's the time that we get very very concerned about whether or not there could be potential of homicide. And when we do realise that a lot of these acts of murder have been committed where there hasn't been any physical violence that's ever preceded that, and it's all been acts of coercive control, it's really important that if you do are concerned that you're in a relationship that is toxic, that is controlling, that is manipulating you, and you do want to make a change and make a break, that you get that really good support and make really a great really good advice. safety plan.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Can I point out that too in... Not as drastic circumstances, but where coercive control exists in a relationship. Go see a couple's therapist. <laughs> I love it. Like yeah, like to go to to somebody who can help you to look at your relationship from the outside, get support for both of you so that you are both working out together and your own help individually, working out why this thing is happening in your life. Yeah. Because part of it's you, part of it's the dynamic of the two of you together. Because you have worked with people, haven't you, cats,
1: that have been yeah, in coercively it, controlled relationships and you've been able to work with them.
2: Yes. And part of that, that that very question, is this what it is, that can it be answered with you know simply sitting down with a trusted person or a, a counsellor or a psychologist to help you work out what that, if it is what you think it is. And if the relationship is something that's it, salvageable and there is this is not an all-the-time thing, maybe it's a default setting that has been carried on for generations, talk about it, open the conversation up about it. Because I think too, in families, we're teaching our children by demonstrating, well, maybe problem-solving is part of our way that we can do it, which is a different circumstance It's before you get down the bottom of the slope of the slippery slope, you kind of might be at the top or halfway and it's really good together, pay attention to it and work out if it's a a viable relationship or not.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Kaz. And I would say that you can always call 1-800-RESPECT or Lifeline 24 hours a day to get information and advice as well over the phone. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Colleen and Kaz. I love that you both came in today to have that conversation because if we can educate and talk to as many women as possible, I think that's a really great thing.
0: Thanks for having us. Thank you.
2: Hey, now, Kaz, how can we find out more about you? Kazamos.com.au or on Facebook as Kazamos Counselling. Kaz can help on Insta. Yeah,
1: (laughs) a few bases. So, Colleen, you work for Samaritans as a caseworker and there's lots of different programs there that can assist people. Absolutely. Okay, so So you can always reach out to to Samaritans as well for advice and support.
0: Yay, thanks so much, sisters. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Hey Soul Sister with Mel Histon. What would help you on your crazy life journey? Email melissa at thesisterco.com.